this episode of Making Games is Fun is with Alicia Judge. Alicia is a brilliant games journalist. Recently at IGN, she's left and gone freelance and just basically seen where the wind takes her. She's done a lot of video presenting work and we talk a little bit about that towards the end. But mainly this discussion's about uh, her life, her background, her love of games. We talk about the current state of games journalism. We talk about the evolving nature of games culture and the importance of journalism's role in assessing and progressing that culture. And there's also quite a lot of giddy silliness. Um, there's a bit where I try to do a presentary voice that isn't this one, this slightly sort of languid uh smooth buttery voice and I try and sort of pick it up a bit and do like a hey guys YouTuber voice and it doesn't really work and it's actually really painful anyway that's a funny bit in the middle uh, which leads us to talk more about Alicia's personality and how being a positive and, and bubbly and excitable happy person sometimes doesn't uh <laughs> doesn't gel very well with with others and with with our sort of society in general especially in the UK and how that's been a bit of a sticking point for her and a bit of an albatross around her neck so there's a great mix of uh, games culture chat personal stories from Alicia silliness and yeah a deep a bit of a deep dive into who she is as a person which is I mean basically that is the jackpot for this podcast that's what it's all about so, I hope you enjoy this one. I had an absolute blast making it with Alicia. She's a lot of fun. She's entertaining, and I hope that all comes across. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Making Games is Fun. Chinny Reckon. I have literally no idea what you're talking about. Let's, what do you think it means? Chinny Reckon. Someone says, oh, well, no, I'll, I'll, right, go in cold without me giving you any example sentences. Chinny Reckon. reckon. So, wait, so or, literally you're or, not giving me any content. Okay, Chinny Reckon. Other variations are Chinna. Yeah, Chinna. <laughs> is it, is it something to do with like, like, you know, like taking it on the chin? No. Nope. You know, okay. Uh, no, chinny, miles away. Chinny, oh, Chinny Reckon, like you reckon something, you stroke your chin. Uh, get in there, get in oh, there. Oh, okay, so, right, you're you're thoughtful, you're incredibly no, thoughtful. No, going the wrong way now. Okay, I feel like playing the game of warmer, colder. Uh, That's so, colder. Think children, think the cruelty children, of children. Chinny reckon. Uh, children cut their chins a lot because uh, they fall <laughs> over. <laughs> I'm like, what, do, what do children do with their chins? They, I remember at a seventh birthday party, I watched Alex Poole cut his chin on... Not, 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 what do chil- not specifically what do children do with their chins, but the, the nature of the, the school child in general and the and culture of school. Not going to be positive, is what I'm trying to say. Like, not, 
not oh you're very thoughtful chinny like chinny reckon chinny reckon you're reckoning things they stick their chin out when they're sulking oh i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a clue now because it's it's painful it's just (laughs) we're still dancing around um yeah my dad works at nintendo and you'd be like chinny reckon show off no oh no (laughs) i don't believe you it means Chinny reckon. Chinny reckon. Or we would say chinna for some reason. I don't know if that's chinna, a, chinna a local reckon. variant. Oh, sort it's of like, like someone, oh, yeah. someone going, mm, mm, chinny reckon. <laughs> okay, okay, now that makes more sense. <laughs> but you, you, you sort I, of made it make more sense when you were trying to figure it out when you said, oh, like stroking your chin, like, oh yeah, hmm, well, I'll have a think of that for a second. No, it's BS. Like, that, I think that's where it comes from. Like, oh, mm, really? Mm, I'm just going to ponder that and realise that it's nonsense. It's so interesting how these words as well, how Chinny they reckon. evolve. And they come from, they come from you know, like that, coming from a playground. Like the way that kids influence language, there's a really, really interesting move that we're seeing online at the moment with um, like Twitter culture. Yeah. And uh, the way that it's not even millennials, like Generation X are deconstructing how language is created. So by stripping out all of the punctuation like you know when you look at online yeah. um, kids often like they don't use like capital i It'll always be lowercase i when they're talking about themselves right no punctuation right a thing mm. and actually like and a lot of old people are like well this is awful like you're you're you don't know how to write and you're deconstructing language and you're not doing it properly you're not speaking properly yeah but actually like kids are creating new meaning by playing with language so yes you know, they will only do capital I to talk about themselves yeah. if they're making a point. Like they're emphasizing. It's almost like in Spanish, you'd say hablo, and you'd only say yo hablo, like I speak. Mm. If you were making a point, yeah. Um, I mean, that's like a really specific example, but I'm really fascinated by the ways that in the playground or in the online space amongst young people, mm. language is kind of a malleable thing mm. that they'll shift and change. Yeah, and it's like, and also I do think there's. While there's some value in knowing how to write correctly and that sort of thing and and speak formally, as it were, is there is like quite a strong element of classism in it, yes. where it's like, oh no, you must only talk like this, you must only totally. say things in this in this way. Whereas actually, if you if you free up that language, if you allow someone to use their voice in their writing, mm. then you're um, legitimizing how they speak and where they come from and what their culture is and 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 what those words mean in that context for them in that culture or that society you know so like to allow that in is is so much better but you know you've got this sort of gatekeepers and certain classes that are like no capitalize that do this do that and it's almost got like a it's got this sort of controlling um element to it where it's like don't you know do not express yourself do it like this um don't have ideas <laughs> you know it's 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 oh if you do have them to our rules right to our standards. listen to us anarchists yeah all from all from chinny reckon <laughs> i know but do you know what it's, it's interesting that you you draw that parallel because it's something that i've been thinking about lo- a lot recently in relation to the games industry mm. because i've been thinking about <laughs> segue segue I've been thinking about yeah. how what what makes a good game and like why we think of games as good and yes. and like the canon because we're you know gaming modern gaming in in a very kind of um broad 
all-consuming way has been around since like you know consoles started being a thing in the 1990s obviously yeah. gaming's been around longer than that but it went more mainstream in the yeah. 90s yeah. so then that's where we started really developing like oh my god you've not played zelda like that's insane oh you didn't play like blah 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 and i was like how do we choose those games and a lot of those games are chosen by the people who are in power so within yeah. that community so you know it is the uh golden eye is a game that like people often like say as a touchstone there's a lot of like you know uh first person shooters fighting games like very specific types and a lot of these games like I didn't play when I was right. growing up. And it's something that I find sometimes as a video games journalist now in adulthoods, like someone will say, oh, blah, blah, blah. Cause like da, da, da. And I'm like, ah, oh, like I didn't, I didn't play those games. We only had a PlayStation growing up. Like I was, so I only, you know, I played like Jack and Daxter and Spyro and Croc, hmm. Legend of the Gobos, but no one, people are now talking about Spyro cause it was remastered. But like yeah. for the longest time, like all of my like Zelda, like no one talked yeah. about because that that's not the the zeitgeist of the games industry. And um, I guess it's in the same way that, you know, there are certain types of people that you meet when you talk about literature and they're like, oh, well, you know, like David Foster Wallace and Hemingway and like, da -da -da, mm. and, they, and they say all these things. Yeah. And like, if you've not read those, you're not learned. It feels like if you've not played these games, you're not. Yes, you're gamer. sort of not allowed to have a, a, a valid opinion or at least not as worthy an opinion unless you've had this one and that one and that one like yeah i didn't play i mean you know i've been i've been playing games all my life you know people say it's like yeah i know it's fine um <laughs> but i have um and i didn't have a nes or a mega drive or anything yeah, like that yeah no, me neither i was um my friends did so i played some of those things but i never got into zelda much at yeah. all i de definitely didn't have one didn't play one through because you Zelda isn't a game that you go to your mates to play unless you don't like your mates totally. and you just want to ignore them for three hours and play it, you know. So I had Commodore 64 and Amiga and mm -hmm. all the sort of the computer-based ones, mm -hmm. you know, and um, then went straight onto PlayStation from the yeah. Amiga for ages. Like, So I didn't have those either, you know, so no, never played Mega Man. No, da -da -da. Me but like, there's that thing, it's like, you've not done that, you've not played that. No, you're not a proper gamer. Why well, you not, Gary. you know? What are you doing? What's doing your history? Podcast. Yeah, yeah. You're Disgusting. Liar. Shut You're it freak. down. Shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> Cut the electrics. <laughs> Get him out of here. <laughs> you know, but it's a funny kind of. It's true. Like you know, the games. Um, you know, I had a I had a gaming a gaming PC. I had a PC that I played games on. It was a gaming PC. And I, no, it was, I mean, it wasn't. It was it was like a word processing PC. But but you know, and I I played Might and Magic and yeah. uh a game called zeus master of olympus which was where mm. it was like a kind of top down you build your own city from scratch like i built like athens and had gods like walking <laughs> you know the i played i played so much of that game um you know like Baldur's gate those yeah. games and, yeah and like i always find that I feel like a fraud sometimes, despite all of that context and backstory in all of those games that I played growing up. Yeah. Somehow I feel like I'm not a proper gamer. And that this is this is like the I guess the problem with the term gamer, like what <clears throat> does it actually mean? And yeah. when we've got an industry as varied as ours where, you know, there are so many different genres and stories and contexts and platforms and like types of games and types of developers and like experiences and, and like how can we say hmm. what you should play? Like that's yeah. so, we are restricting one of the most creative industries. <laughs>
Channel 4 invited me to go and debate on the news, like video games and Fortnite and, you know, should we be worried? Are they dangerous? And it was me and a psychologist. And like, we both very much like agreed. That was the irony of it. Like they, they put the YouTube clip up and they're like, journalist versus psychologist, are video games bad? And it was like, we're actually coming from the same space of like, yeah, like they're, you know, let's not kid ourselves. I, I genuinely think the video games industry does itself a disservice to suggest that video games addiction doesn't exist. It does. And we need to be aware of that and cognizant of that. And we also need to safeguard like and and look at uh, look at the mechanics that we're putting into our games, you know, things like loot boxes, stuff like that, and actually really bear responsibility for those. But you know, when I was invited on, Krishnan Guru Murthy um, had brought his son, like, and all of his friends into the studio to play Fortnite, and they had like a little VT that rolled before we did the live interview um, of him playing it, and like his son was like 10 years old. It's like, why have you got him playing Fortnite? Like you yeah. are you are in itself are the problem. And the question that he wanted to get through to me and he kept asking me was like, well, should we have a child impact assessment? Like, should we have child impact assessment in games? And I, and I get it from like a journalist perspective, when you go into an interview, I understand he had his top line heading and yeah. earlier in the day, someone had said to him who came across as a, Oh, but he was he was this guy who clearly had never played a video game in his life and and did an interview during the WT where he was like the games industry should have child impact assessments and so Christian Guru Murthy just latched onto this and was like should we Alicia like should we and I was like you're missing you're missing the point you don't understand how it works Cle- clearly you're unaware of Peggy systems because you're allowing your son to play this so if you want if you're talking about child impact assessments we already have it like we already have the Peggy ratings if you're going deeper. And what you, the question you're asking is, should we regulate individual mechanics and work out the impact on our children? No, that's like, that's really hard to do. That's impossible. That requires a level of game design knowledge, which is impossible for regulators. Even as a game designer, that's really hard to do because one mechanic in one game that could be problematic. Let's even use the example of loot boxes. There are ones that aren't that bad, like Overwatch, you know, when they're purely, you know, cosmetic. So we can't assessing like that. Whereas you you look at them in Battlefront 2, they're really problematic. Like, Mm. so you can't do a blanket thing. The amount of time it would take is impossible. And I'm trying to explain that to him, but I've only actually got like 30 seconds of talk yeah, time. Yeah. And like the way that, um, so I did it as best I could. And he was so dismissive because of course, when you don't understand game design, it sounds like a cop out. And herein lies the problem. Like yeah. it's this echo chamber culture that we've got, but magnified in the fact that parents don't engage with games culture Mm. they're scared of it they're only hearing how bad it is when someone comes up to defend the games industry all they hear is someone going (laughs) you know and like you know slightly faceless evil kind of corporation doesn't listen um i don't know like mobile games are going some way to dismantling that because actually most parents now play games i think it's just you know, over time, this, this sounds really harsh. Like everyone's a gamer now, like kids are growing up, they all play games. Eventually the parents who have this problem, they're all gonna die yeah. and there'll be a new generation. It'll all be sorted They'll up. all be dead and yeah. there'll be a new generation of gamers who just get it. Like there's, you know, 
it, yeah. it will it will solve itself but it doesn't help us in the meantime it is disappointing when these things are coming up and just feel like we've got just gone back 10 years because it feels like the same conversations. It is, the same. it is the same conversation. It is exactly the same conversation. It's, it's because they're always pitched as a battle. Yeah. Because that's the way a lot of news I works. Know. And it's like, let's have a fight because it's exciting to watch. And it's like, but are you tired, Gary? I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I'm tired. I'm so tired of this conversation. <laughs> We're still having it. I know. 30 years later. But I don't know. Like. I think. To, to bring it round a little bit, um, I think one thing that is part of it is the language of games, by which I mean, this is something I was talking to Fail Better about, um, the inherent uh, kind of visual cues and other cues that we are so used to. If you want someone new to get into games who hasn't really played them, <clears throat> those are like quite like like serious barriers right L lots of things that we don't even think about like that's glowing a bit it means i can pick it up or that's got like sh like shafts going around it so it means we need to go this way or when i start this level i'm going to go around the back of here because there's going to be a treasure chest yeah things that are like, what do you mean there's going to be you know or um well it's usually x to jump or yeah. this will probably move the camera or anything when when they say yeah when they say quickly we haven't much time you actually do have loads of time unless there is a timer you can see and you know just loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of little things which are like which is a wall like it is a different language and if you don't know the words in that language you there's a lot of games that you just can't play unless someone helps you. No, totally. There's a there's a really really good um, a series like of article talks and tweets that Rami Ismail has done about this and his uh, oh, yeah. his mum who started playing Final Fantasy um, as someone who had never played a game before and he like documented the whole thing and there's oh. there's an amazing bit where. Uh, you know, obviously you're playing royalty and you're at the beginning of your journey and you meet the mechanic and she sends you off on a side quest. And that's the tutorial quest. It's yeah. meant to be like a, that teaches you the basics of the game. Yeah. And his mum says no to the, to the quest. And he's <laughs> like, why are you doing that, mum? You're going to like, that's, that's how you learn the game. And she's like, I'm a prince. Why am I going to go on this errand for a mechanic? Yeah. So she doesn't learn the basics and goes straight off into the game. I like that. Then later on, she comes across like the antagonist of the game. And the first time you meet him, he's kind of on the side of the road and he's like selling, you know, like weapon, like dealing and like um, selling these weapons. Yeah. And uh, you're meant to like go and talk to him and that like foregrounds like later on. And, and she avoids him because she's like, I'm not going to talk to a stranger selling weapons in the street. That's just basic stranger danger. And she doesn't <laughs> like, and all of this kind of, non-gamer behavior that's so logical and makes sense but we yeah because we speak this language of gaming and he and he's done some really really interesting articles of like how it's changed his approach as a game designer watching his mum play games <clears throat> mm. is it's really really interesting definitely worth checking out yeah so i think that's a that's like a like a huge barrier for sure but, but yeah like, that, that's an amazing study because it, it illustrates that perfectly yeah but it's true because I mean, tying it back sort of to what we were we were talking about, um, this panic over like Fortnite and gaming addiction. I find it really interesting that 
the World Health Organization classified gaming disorder as a behavioral disorder in the same category as uh, gambling. You know, it's, it's not substance addiction. It's not like cocaine. It's not like heroin. But the fascinating thing about that being that it's a behavior, well, unlike substance addiction that affects everyone biologically, behaviors are subject to societal, cultural, contextual kind of forms and formation like they are are, it's a behavior and so when you look at the idea of gaming addiction as a behavior of course it's going to be tied up in everything that we've been talking about the fear that maelstrom of kind of like our gamers well they're just nerds like with no social skills like living in the like the panic that exists around that yeah and the stereotypes is wrapped up in now this scientific medical claim it's messier than just the clean cut oh i've got a cocaine addiction like everyone understands you know even like geographically if you look at um gaming addiction in some asian countries where you hear stories of people playing these online multiplayer games and dying at their yeah there's a story of the guy who a few years ago who died in the internet cafe in korea like yeah totally like you know um there there's a really interesting article from two psychologists uh, who were working for the World Health Organization who accused the World Health Organization of political pressure from Asian countries who were lobbying for gaming disorder to be a thing because it was such a problem, like geographically in that right. area in a way that we don't see. Yeah. Um, I, I just, like the, the very fact that it's a behavioral disorder opens up this can of worms that no one's talking about. We're just seeing this black and white Oh, it's it's a medical term. Like chuck a pill at it. Yeah. You know, parents wouldn't it wouldn't it be lovely if you could just give your kid a pill and they'd go out and climb trees <laughs> all of a sudden? Like, yeah. wouldn't that be great? But it's not. It's a behavioural disorder, and yeah. you know, there's no, there is so many different reasons why your child's playing games, and good ones as well. But you know, it's going to be more. If you want to change that, you're going to have to engage with the culture. I'm aware that there's an age difference between us. <laughs> so, there's I was... a chasm of years. <laughs> the gulf, I can the feel sk- it. Have, oh. you, have you seen the bit in Indiana Jones where he has to cross the huge gaping chasm to get to the chalice? On the other side is Alicia. <laughs> Going, hi, it's great over here. Come back. I like, can't come back. So, in brilliant times when you were a child and you were just slightly further slightly farther ahead than me (laughs) what was it like you know having games and growing up what was the 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 culture around it and and like maybe in general but also you know within your family and and i mean that one of the reasons i got into games is because my dad was a gamer you know like i've one of my earliest memories is sitting upstairs and hearing the sound of like the PlayStation 1 booting up, you know, that mm. kind of... I've just realised how impossibly hard it is to do that sound. You can only do the last bit. That's definitely not in tune, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, and I remember that meant that he was playing Tomb Raider. And so, I, how, so how old were you then when that was... That so was that came out in 1996, so I'd have been five years old. I was born in 1991. Mm. Um, <laughs> your face... <laughs> dead inside because that was that was like high school for me secondary school no stuff. way 
Yay, yeah, mate. PlayStation. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. But so so I do yeah, talent like that. I do before that I do remember the snares. I remember him playing Super Metroid and I remember being terrified by the Metroids and like, you know yeah. and the bit where everything's collapsing and, and trying to like get out in time. I remember sat, sat next to him, my eyes as big as saucers <sighs> as he like escaped and like yeah. it took him many goes to do and like I remember being so invested. So like I was very much gaming I guess was like my cinema that I did with my dad I watched him play and I just sit by his side and was like so into it and then Tomb Raider was like the real gateway because he'd play the main campaign and give me his five-year-old daughter the mansion and so I'd run around and be like woohoo perfect perfect yeah and it was something that we shared and like um and then when I got older I started you know saying to him oh that puzzle that you're stuck on dad like maybe you could do like xyz and he'd be like what oh my gosh and it works and so started solving it more together and then i eventually started playing the main campaigns and then he kind of stopped gaming and i carried on and um they were always super supportive and, and very generous like they you know they got me a playstation 2 when i was old enough and yeah. that was mine that i had and so like nice. you know it meant that I was able to game and, and I experienced this whole kind of games culture, not ever thinking that it was other. Like I actually, I never ever thought of gaming as being like a weird nerdy thing to do until I got to university. Huh. I'm that lucky that it took me that long. Yeah. Because even like, you know, at, at secondary school, um, I had two friends and like, we absolutely love games and we played games together and like when we were all girls and it was never a weird thing to be a girl and to play games and i really distinctly remember i went to game once when i was like 16 to buy the latest call of duty mm. and i remember the cashiers being like oh have you getting getting this for your brother or your boyfriend and they were only like, they're like probably like the same age as me they're you know slightly older maybe 17 or 18 i remember being like no it's it's mine and like be, be like what that's so weird it's like yeah. And I'd never experienced that before. And like my dad loved it. He was like, Alicia, like, did you see? Like, ah, oh, you like really subverted their expectations. <laughs> yeah, my daughter, really cool. Like, guys, just can't get that. And I remember just being like, that's so strange. Yeah. And I went to university and in halls, people were putting me in their phones as gamer girl. Cause it was like, people came into my room and saw I had a PlayStation and were like, what, that blows my mind. Like, but you're a girl and you have a PlayStation. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. but this is normal mm. and oh how i've learned since then <laughs> oh you sweet summer child alicia <laughs> that utopia that you grew up in it's odd but it's it's a it was a really really lovely thing and actually that context is just it's been so helpful in terms of no like gaming itself there is nothing it, it, it's a reminder that gaming is not the problem it's like i was saying about you know it being a behavioral disorder like it is all context it's all culture it's all society and those kind of things can be changed it's just the conversations that we have that there's always change it's it's like that that quote um about the arc of history being long but always curving yeah. towards the like you know the arc of the games industry is long but i firmly believe that it's it's arcing towards a more exciting dynamic industry that tells more stories like it, it can only grow and as it grows there are more cultures that it's going to bring into itself yeah. um so 
some of what I do sometimes is I go into schools and I talk to kids about careers in the games industry. And it's like my favorite thing to do. It's so much fun because like, you know, let's talk to kids because kids see more of the future than we do because they're going to be in it longer than us. So, you know, you might as well chat to a kid Mm. and like get a feel of where the industry is heading and like, I always find it really interesting to talk to kids and ask them what they're playing. And the answers always surprise me. It's like things like Agario and like, you know, these games that like no one in the games industry talks about. But these are all, these are all like the Sonics, the Spyros, the Lara Crofts of like the future games designers. So like, I I find it fascinating to talk to them. Um, But I remember I was talking to this group of girls. These were slightly older. These were like teenagers and they were looking to go to university and they were, they were worried about like, you know, being women in the games industry. Mm. And I was like, oh, do you know, do you know that, what, that, what happens when you're talking to someone and you say that you play games and you get a, oh really? Or a, huh. (laughs) And like that sound always used to really piss me off. I'd just be like, well, you know, come the fuck on like it's i'm not like a yeti like you don't (laughs) need to go like ha but actually over time i started really liking that sound because when you hear a ha what you're hearing is the click of a cog switching just a single cog switching in someone's head and a expectation adjusting as you change in their head what they think of as a gamer it's such a subtle click and it's small, but you've done that just by simply being, like just by engaging in the industry, you've changed something by, and like, I think that's that's really powerful. And, um, you know, that's the whole thing of, of Gamergate and the voices that rise up online to silence women and like get them outside of the industry. It's because they know the power of that one, huh, of like, the visibility they want to fight against that yeah. and it's so it's so important for us to exist in the industry yeah because just by being in it you change it Were your first jobs was all games related or did you have just before that? So How did I, it all how did it all pan out? Right. Year? So let's bring you back like David Copperfield, uh, but we'll start at university rather than <laughs> birth. Um so <laughs> I I've always been interested in stories. Like that's been my bag. Like I read avidly as a kid and actually mm. what I loved about gaming really like it's very telling from the way that I learned to game through watching my dad as if it were like a cinema thing it was a story like mm. I I really enjoyed watching him play you know Super Metroid and like uh, that Lara Croft like I said earlier whereas and, like he played Street Fighter and stuff on the SNES and like I played that too but my fondest memories are of the ones that had a level of story to them mm-hmm. so how, started- how dare you <laughs> I know how dare <laughs> I'm so sorry um And so I studied English literature at university um, and I, what a cliche, I was editor of my student paper and uh, one, I I, I needed uh, work experience. I was like, well, I don't really know what I want to be. It was like my second year of uni. 
don't know what I want to do with my English degree. Um, and I worked at a bar. And on the bar, one day, a guy came in um, called Phil Ivanuik, who worked with me. And he was like, I'm leaving. Round of shots for everyone. I've got my dream job. I'm going to move to Bath from York and become a staff writer at Official PlayStation magazine. And I was like, that's amazing. Because I always used to talk to Phil when we were working shifts together. We'd be in the middle of like shaking some tails, talking about like whether we chose like Lady Shep or like <laughs> Male Shep, yeah. like Commander Shepard in Mass Effect. And like, I was like, oh, that's so awesome. Like, I know how much you love writing. Great. Pause. Can I get some work experience this summer? Like, would that be, like, that would be great. Because I just, until that, literally until that point that he burst into the bar, I'd never actually thought that I could combine my love of writing and like this learning, this journalism thing that I was doing and the fact that I always played video games and that I was gamer girl at university. I hate that term so much. <laughs> but um, so I went and I did five days with official PlayStation magazine. Um, ben Wilson, who was editor at the time, was just amazing really like championed me they let me go on the podcast i was like the first work experience student oh, ever wow. allowed on the official playstation podcast and um i got the bug i was like this is great uh, this and I, re I remember going back and seeing my parents afterwards and going that's now my dream job too like i just want to yeah i want to be able to talk about games and then I graduated mm. and there were no jobs going. <laughs> it was this dry season. It was the point. So I graduated in 2013 and like it was a bad time for like publishing. Like Future was going under. A lot of the magazines were folding mm. um, and there were just no jobs. So I ended up moving to London on £13,000 a year um, to work for... A little site called IT Pro Portal that was a B2B technology publication. Right. And it was actually the best. It was really, really fun because I was like, if I can write, if I can write about the insides of a PlayStation, I can write about the insides of a smartphone. Like they're very applicable skills. Yeah. And it was a group of people who we had no idea what we were doing. We were, like the oldest person on the team was like 26. Right. Writing about like, you know, we talked about cloud storage and stuff. Like it went about like everything. But um, I traveled the world. Like my second week I went to Prague. They sent me to Seoul, to Taipei, did like a tour of Silicon Valley startups in San Francisco. I'm like 21, like sat in yeah. Silicon Valley with like these CEOs, not knowing anything, but like interviewing them about yeah. like their, their world. And like, it was, it was amazing. And ever since then I, I basically like lily padded trying to get into games. So I specialized there in consumer technology and like would occasionally write stories on games and just then I worked for Pocket Gamer and then like it was it was always a jump to get somewhere like IGN. So to jump in here, where do you think you get this energy and 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 attitude from? Because I was laughing because so the other day I was talking with other friends who make games related videos and podcasts uh -huh. and other stuff like that, right? Um and I'm doing, they've got a little hobby project uh, called Data Beast. Check it out. Mm. Um, and <laughs> I was talking about recording voiceover stuff. Mm. And I said to them, think it's right. I have to just use my voice, right? Whatever that is, right? <laughs> and this is the one I have, right? No, but like a lot of people like it, but it's quite um, smooth and, and easy like and languid. Buttery. You'd be very good at meditation voiceovers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Empty your mind. Yeah. Don't worry about Just it. Just think about the breath. Just be happy. It's and fine. In and out. All of your listeners have now gone to sleep. Yeah. In and out. Wake up. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I said, look, look what happens when I try and do like a. Hey guys, perfect. It's just oh, do it, do it. Okay. No, no, it's no, horrible. no. Right. No, I hate it. No, right. You're gonna do an introduction. Like, no, no. Do you know what? Uh, <laughs> do the bit that at, at the end of every IGN video, you have to say something along the lines of, "For more on da 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 da, keep it locked here to IGN." So say, "For oh, more God. on." Okay. Uh, I've got one. I've for got more one. on video games. Yeah. For more on the bit where someone gets disemboweled in the Last of Us Two trailer, keep it locked. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> Listen to it. Keep it locked to now, GN. It sounds awful. I can't do it. Right, I'll try and do it. Non-sarcastically. I'm going to try my absolute hardest. The level hardest, of emotional right. labour that's going into... Okay, I'm ready. I'm so ready. It's painful. It feels like what it must feel like. Imagine a car where you, you're driving the car, but the handbrake's still on, right? <laughs> I am Great the analogy. car. I am the car, right? In this. You're so recalcitrant. I'm like... <laughs> right. It feels wrong. <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm so excited. I need a line. What is it? So uh, for, for more... more on video games, keep it locked to IGN. You're so good at it. It's impossible. I wasn't even joking. I know, you're just talking. <laughs> for more on video games, <laughs> just generally video so games. So on brand. All right. <laughs> keep it locked to IGN. Is that it? Was no, that no, no. This is me oh, okay, rehearsing right. in my head. Okay, okay, okay. That, okay. Wasn't, that wasn't it. I was, going, like, I was like, more energy, Gary. I wasn't going ASMR on it. Keep it locked. <laughs> More, right, hold on. For more on video games, keep it locked tonight. Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. Right, here we go. Go on, go on, go on. For more on video games. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I'm going back to the thing I was talking about, the original question. Like <laughs> Before we got sidetracked 20 into this training ago. montage of voiceovers. How I think it ties in to the fact that you just said, like, so then. I mean, how old were you when you went? Were you were travelling around to like? I would have been twenty-one. Uh, I just just left uni. Yeah. So you just left uni, and you just pop over to Prague and you or, or pop to Silicon Valley, for example. Yeah. And you sat with these CEOs, big, big old big wigs, the big, the Their largest. Wigs were very big. The very big cheeses with the big wigs. But like <laughs> the idea that you were just like, so I'm just going to interview these guys, and I'm just going to be bang and you turn on that brightness and that engagement where do you think have you always been like that and where do you think it comes from oh what a question um do you know what I I struggled with this recently because I had a bit of a crisis of identity because so many people question that aspect of me like a lot right like people will be so, like I some people respond, and in fact, most people respond really positively to it. Like there was a lovely, lovely group of people at IGN who would just be like, I remember it's such a silly comment, but it really stuck with me because it's so hyperbole. But this guy was like, I watched this news video twice, like just because listening to Alessia talk makes me feel like I can take on the world. Such a YouTuber, like, oh, like you know, obviously not true. But I was like, oh, that, that's really lovely. So some people respond really well to the energy. And some people are like, she's exactly the sort of girl who would tell you that she's fine, but actually isn't. And then suddenly she's breaking up with you. And like, 
And I was like, yeah, this says a lot more about you, sir, than yeah, it there's does some, about uh, me. <laughs> there's some stuff in there that might be to do with them, yes. But like, you know, a lot of people talk about it, like even like the words that you use to sound like switching it on. And um, and there, there's, an, there's an element to which that's true, but I think for all of us it's true. I don't know anyone yeah. who doesn't go into a social situation. And sometimes like, you know, you, you're you, but you're you on a Baraka day. You know, yeah, like yeah, it's still you, yeah, but yeah. you've just kind of, but this idea of switching it on really bothered me because I had this crisis of identity of like, are people seeing me as fake? And like, yeah. is this is this me? Like, am I actually, is, is happiness and joy and energy, is that a negative thing? Am I, am I fake? Have I cultivated it? And I happen to be um, going back through like an old yearbook from when I left secondary school and I started reading like some of the entries and people who I barely knew like in my classes in my history classes and this is at a time when I didn't really think about like identity or anything because you don't you have spent seven years in the same school in the same world and you're just you and so many people commented on like my brightness and like you're just so there's a light about you and there's all of this and all really lovely words and like you know but it actually came at such the right time because I'd, I'd had years of working in the games industry, which is defined by cynicism, you know, it's, it's zero punctuation and that, you know, um, yeah. Charlie Brooker and like that that brand of video games journalist that's very male and cynical yeah. and, and I am everything that that isn't. Mm. And my voice is very different mm. and... I would, the, I would argue way more authentic as well because those are gimmicks but isn't it ironic that that, 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 that's so interesting that you say that because you know I've been made to feel like I'm inauthentic because I'm not that cultivated cynical voice Mm. because cynicism like to be cool you've got to be disinterested to be cool you've got to not care to be like interesting you've got to be detached that (laughs) these are all the lies that we tell ourselves and um and it's, yeah, it's, it's taken me actually a good few years to come back around to actually just being happy in the way that I am, which is no, like if I'm excited about something, I'll be excited about something and I'll be, I'll be optimistic. And I, I genuinely think that I like, I love that. I, the irony of it all is like, I love Charlie Brooker. I love zero punctuation. I think they're fucking hilarious, but I think if you're cultivating that and you're copying that there is such weakness in cynicism yeah and and it comes sorry and it comes back to voice your own voice again like just Mm -hmm. then when I tried to do a you know an IGN sting or whatever like that's not my voice that's not my yeah totally and there's there is no point in you trying to be Da, 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 keep it locked to IGN if that's not who you are. Yeah, you don't, could see, you could do see that doesn't It physically up, right? pained you. Yeah, you I'm were like, contorted <laughs> on my sofa. I was concerned. <laughs> like, it doesn't come out in it, that way. You know, that's not how it manifests itself, which is interesting. So when you try and go against your voice, mm-hmm. whatever that might be, it just, it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't sound right or it doesn't feel right. Yeah, and I, you know... I, I don't have the answers to this because we're all ultimately, we are all an amalgamation of qualities that we've seen in other people or fictional characters that we've then wanted to imbibe and mirror. Like there will always be an element of our personality that is constructed and there will be an element that's innate. And, you know, it's working out that balance and also being kind to yourself and going, it's okay. Like it, it is okay sometimes to need to turn it on. But it's also... 
I guess everyone's everyone's got their like hang up and it's not even just the games industry even like the bar that I worked on I remember because I was like 18 at the time and I remember my manager saying to me once we'd all got hot chocolate we'd all drank the hot chocolate it was really quiet like beginning of the shift and then someone had brought in cookies and all I'd said was oh guys like we should have waited like if we'd have known and we could have had like the hot chocolate with the cookies and it would have been great and he literally turned to me and he was like were you born or did you grow on the happy tree and like and, I, and it was so disparaging. And I was like, mate, it's just practical cookies, hot chocolate, hand in hand. Yeah. And it really bugged me because yeah. I was like, that characterized the way that I was sometimes treated on the bar of like, oh, Alicia, like she's just so sunny. There is absolutely no way that she could have gone through anything like negative. And mm. and there is there are the, the, the people, there are people in that, so clearly dislike me for for that reason they're yeah. like they they're people who have been broken and um you know they look at the way that i move through the world and they're like well she never has and they resent me for it but they literally don't know anything about me like yeah. they, they don't know my backstory yeah they they've made an assumption based on the way that i talk and and the frustrating for the longest time again like i was like maybe i shouldn't be this way because people clearly can't see yeah. my story and that was frustrating and i was like maybe i should be maybe i should be cynical maybe i should be you know spiky and barbed and like mm. you know and show some of that you know, wear my scars on my wrist. And and then I was like, you know what? No, fuck off. Like, that's not, that's not the way that I am. Why yeah. should I, yeah. you know, opt, opt, that's what I mean by optimism takes more strength because you're tested. People challenge you and they look down on you and they, and yeah, it's optimism is the thing that gets things done. It's the thing that changes things. If you're optimism, you're, you have this firm belief that things can be shaken. Yeah. Whereas cynicism, wallows in itself it marinades and it it's easier it's easier to be cynical and to protect yourself and wear that armor Because I came in to the game side of things, work-wise through photography, mm. um, I've worked with magazines. I've worked on. I've worked a lot with actual with actual devs, like as they're making stuff and seeing how they do that. And I couldn't claim to know really what's going on, but like I can start <laughs> to get a feel of what it uh, feels like and and what their work in life is like and that kind of thing um so from that i it, it just it occurs to me that on the journalism side of things it's important to have um the voice you know it's a voice that's critical it's a voice that looks at the overall picture and, and how games are impacting culture and how they shape culture and this kind of thing it's something that is really in my opinion is necessary because people making games just do not have the time to do that because it is hard work it is mm. mad i don't know why they do it you know and it's 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 just it's just it's bloody hard um 
so I feel like they're just so and they're so close to what they're making so there's, it leaves very little time for anyone except the most successful companies to step back and go are we doing this well could we be doing it better artistically culturally um, things like issues of representation yeah totally I mean this has come at a point where the very role of journalism is being examined across all sectors you know like we this isn't this isn't just a games industry thing like wh what is the role of a journalist and for me I think that question is whatever the journalist is writing about they're holding that to account like it's the it's the person who checks and balances and who sees the patterns and you know knows everything to a broad degree like I think a, a lot a, a common mistake that people make when they talk to a games journalist is to go oh blah 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 but you don't know you don't know that aspect of that particular game like maybe maybe you know I, I made maybe I make a video on like destiny or yeah. something a game that I play a lot of yeah but I also have to play every other game that comes out <laughs> yeah. because that's my job <clears throat> yeah. so of course there will be people who know destiny much better than i do because mm. i've played you know 50 hours of it but someone's put in a hundred yeah and like you know so people kind of go oh well you know you call yourself a real oh, i could do a better job because ultimately actually people really want to be games journalists and yeah so they always think that they can do better because yeah. they want to imprint themselves in that role mm -hmm. but that misses the point of actually what it is to be a games journalist like a mm -hmm. games journalist isn't someone who's really even someone who's really good at games it doesn't actually matter how good you are at games no. that has nothing to do with being no, a games journalist no. you could be really poor at games and be a fantastic games journalist because you see the patterns you are the what person who is able to take that big picture mm. lens, mm. but also dive deep. Like it's it's a skill to do both. And you, so you need to be able to see from a high eagle vision view, how the industry is changing and moving and where it's going and where it's come from, mm -hmm. but also be able to dive down to the surface and pick up on a tiny line of dialogue in a, in a whole game and be able to write an 800 word piece, just analyzing that line of dialogue and what that says. Like yeah. the best journalists can do both. And it's, it's really hard to do both. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's, and it's interesting that that is, again, it's just one corner of voices, but, feels like such a childish um reaction to yeah, be like oh you got childish. you got the name of the shopkeeper wrong yeah. in one game that you, out of the 600 you've played this year yeah that you are playing to get an overall feel of what the culture of games is and where it's going and and and, and to make more useful comments and, mm -hmm. and to get people thinking about the games as a whole you know that's the point and it and it's not you know reviews is people just get really stuck on reviews totally because it's what it's what i was saying about how people approach games like their products not like their ideas mm. so and and that is the way that games journalism used to be mm. um but it's shifted and it's changed mm. yeah. and i don't know the games journalism that i'm interested in now like having worked for ign and spent two years creating content for gamers I loved it. I really did. Like, yeah. and it, and it's still something that I'm continuing to do. Like, that's that is my heart is so in that. Yeah. But actually, I'm also really excited to be doing the work that I'm now doing with the BBC. And like, yeah. I've got a meeting this week with Channel Four where we're talking about what shows we can make that are video game themed. And like, mm. I'm so excited for that. Not because not because it's that it sounds really glamorous. Like, oh, the BBC and Channel Four. I'm excited for that because I'm excited <laughs> to talk 
to non-gamers about games. That's yeah. what excites me. Yeah. You know, to change some of the conversations that I had around games and basically evangelize games culture to people who aren't going to turn around and say, become really territorial and protective of it yeah. and say that they know it better. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. just to just to people who will be willing to, you know, listen mm. and go, oh, okay, cool. I never thought of it like that, yeah. which is what we should like I, I mean i have that constantly there are games writers who i, I read their work and i go i would never thought of that like that that's fascinating yeah we need more of that we absolutely do and it's so yes you have recently gone freelance yes welcome ah, <laughs> welcome to the void ah, ah. there's so much space so much dark space to shout so into white i can hear the echo yeah um so that as you were saying that's this is where you can now take your work and it's a it's an exciting move i think to me yeah because it gives you some choice now i presume that's because you want to do a bit more with with what you're doing i think it, i think it does fall down to ultimately exactly i want to talk to non-gamers mm. actually is the yeah is where the decision came from like yeah um I I think that gaming is at a really exciting point where there's a step change that's occurring globally. Mm. Mm. Like, and I want to be able to just ride that and to, and to follow the stories of, and to get out of the bubble, to get out of that echo chamber that we have as gamers where, mm. you know, where these new ideas come in when you talk to non-gamers when we were talking about Rami playing with his mum and mm. like the way that she her behaviour and the language and the way that she approaches games are different that's important it keeps you on your toes and it makes me certainly yeah. approach games in a different way and like I feel like it, it keeps the, it fresh from a purely selfish perspective mm. I just find it more interesting yeah. when I talk to non-gamers and have something that I find so familiar yeah turned and i see a cover and a side of it like a facet that i'm like oh that's that's really interesting mm. um so yeah like the work a lot of the work that i'm doing now is working with the bbc mm. while they're going what is games yeah. and <laughs> uh and working out how they do games coverage because ultimately they're not going to be able to do what ign does there's no point no. in them going up against ign there's no point in them approaching it like a product yeah because that's that's what ign does and it does it very very well yeah. and um so it's like well what what do they do and for me i think the answer is looking more critically looking culturally and in a more drawing the lens backwards and not focusing on like just mechanics and stuff like that like going okay what what's this saying um and I, I, you know, there's YouTube channels that do that, but there's not. And The Guardian definitely is the closest thing that I can think of that does that, like Keza McDonald's mm. and before her, like Keith Stewart, who like built the games offering at The Guardian. It's all about looking culturally at the threads of like why we game, yeah. what, what gaming says and how it reflects culture. Would it be fair to say that that is where you're intending to take what you do in the future down this sort of route to this kind of, like focusing on non-gamers and focusing on how you can bring games to a wider audience is that is that yeah. one of your goals did you say or, <laughs> yeah. or is it too is it too exciting to say would dare we say it's a goal 
Goal. Yeah, like totally. That's goal is absolutely where I'm I'm excited for. Like that's I don't know, like it, it's a harm because I, I feel a bit like, you know, in that cartoon like Tom and Jerry where they're laying the train track as the train's like <laughs> moving. Yeah. You know, I, I don't really know what the future is. I'm just laying it as I go. And like, you know, part of the reason that I went freelance, when I handed in my notice at IGN, I had nothing lined up. I like, Ooh. I literally handed it in because I needed the fear. Like I needed, I needed, um, the fear to motivate me and to make those meetings and yeah. to start getting a ball rolling. And so I just pulled the cord into empty air and, you know, luckily things fell through. <laughs> and like I got, I got some cool opportunities and I don't know the answers to all those questions yet. Like I actually, I don't really fully know what content at the BBC looks mm. like. Hopefully in like three months, I'll have a clearer idea, but I'm just beginning. Do you think you'll always stay in games do you think you would be do you think that you could be as happy with a career in something else and what would that be do you think mm, that's a really hard question because my path to getting here hasn't been like you know I've always been a gamer but mm. it was only you know really at age know 20 that I was like oh I can make a career of this you know like I'm only a few years in um and I don't know what what will come around the corner but yeah I'm definitely staying in games I I can see no reason right now why I would leave is right. the answer to that yeah. like um I'm working in an industry that's young that is evolving where there's space to write a story and write a narrative there's more space for more ha huh, cog moments hmm. and i i want to find those like my my approach as a content creator whether it's presenting or producing or writing is i just want to find different angles like different voices and different stories and my first few years in the industry has been coming to terms with that I guess coming to terms with the fact that you know I I absolutely love everything that the boys at IGN do like I think they're so phenomenally talented Gav Rory Joe Krupa but that's not my voice like that's not that's not me and I can't I can't make that and and that's okay it's okay that I'm not that yeah. so let's find something else and that's what I'm doing now. What I'm working on is is what what is it that I can give the industry? And I don't think that's a question that I'm going to answer in a short space of time. That's gonna take me some years. And so in a few years time, I'll still be answering that question, <laughs> I guess, is the answer to that. <laughs> Something you look forward to finding out. Yeah, totally. It's the you know, it'll be the end of the path that will end in a fork and I'll see what that fork is. But right now I couldn't quantify it or tell you or signpost it. Do you think you prefer uh, living living like that, would you say? Like just seeing where things take you? Yeah, because I don't, I don't think that people have careers anymore. I think they have portfolios. And I like that. I like having lily pads that 
lead to other things. Like the, the whole reason that I'm in video is because, you know, I always wanted to be a journalist. Like, you know, my, my background working for official PlayStation magazine and my student paper and then like mm. even IT Pro Portal and being news editor of Pocket Gamer, it was all written. I never did video. The only reason that I've worked for IGN in the end was because way back at Pocket Gamer, I did an interview with Tommy Palm who worked on Candy Crush and at the end of the interview, he was like, this is completely unrelated. Have you ever done video? And I was like, no. And he was like, I just really enjoyed talking to you. I think that you're you're really engaging. Come move to Sweden and do this program that I'm doing called Stugan. Make the YouTube channel for it. And I was like, I've never used a camera. I've never presented. And he was like, that's fine. You can learn on the job. And I was like, okay. And so <laughs> I, I moved to Sweden for two months and I, and I learned how to edit and like, you know, worked 13, 14 hour days um, doing that. And then on top did like my news editing and then had a show reel together and like had experienced, you know, presenting and talking about games on camera. So I then worked for this YouTube channel called AppSpy and did mobile gaming. And then through that applied for the video host role. I just, but like for all intents and purposes, I shouldn't be doing video work. Like that was never the plan. Yeah. That was, it was always to write. And now I actually, <laughs> I actually don't do that much writing. Going, <laughs> going freelance and like I wrote my first piece for The Guardian and it was such like, it was, it was hard, like, you know, to try and itch those must not itch those muscles what does that mean use your words Alicia but like you know exactly that like constructing sentences in that way like I, I just hadn't done it for such a long time yeah. and um so I don't I don't know I don't know what it will be that I do in the games industry in two years time I just know that there's more stories to tell and more things to do and I'm not done Yeah, but now we're done. <laughs>